Good morning, church. Oh, my goodness. I just want us to keep going with that song. I don't know about you guys, but man, that is an incredible, incredible song. But I believe that God has a lot for us today other than that. And actually, we're going to finish out the service with singing again. So you have that to look forward to if, uh, if you're looking forward to that. If not, get your heart right because that's good stuff, man. Um, all right. So today we're in week three of our series called The Names of God. And in week one, we talked about uh, Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner, my rallying point. We talked about the value of, of working with people and how we actually need people in our lives. And that the rallying point, it wasn't just Moses holding the staff, but it was Moses and her and Aaron and Joshua, all of them doing their part, but all of them trusting in Yahweh Nisi. And then last week we talked about El Shaddai, remember that? And he, the, he is the all-sufficient one. God is the all-sufficient one. He needs nothing. He lacks nothing. And yet he chooses to give us something, to give us salvation and direction and peace and wholeness and mercy and all the other attributes that he, or all the wonderful gifts that he extends to us. And then also, today what we're going to talk about is El Elyon, the most high God. I want to give you an instance how I experienced, Marla and I experienced the, the Most High God. And, and really, if you want to give a, a bottom line to this talk, there may be multiple bottom lines. So I'm, I don't even know where we're going to go with this, but we're going to be everywhere, but we're going to be there together. Amen? So it's going to be good. I'm like, I am so filled to the top, and I just can't wait to just spill out. So, uh, so get ready. Hope you brought a tarp or something. So um, who knows what's coming out. But anyway tell you a story. Actually, prior to being in full-time ministry, Marla and I, and of course the kids, you know, because we have kids and stuff, so they were there too. But prior to going into ministry, it's back in my aviation days, we had a, just this a series of events, and I'm not going to give you all of the events, but we had this certain event that happened, and we just decided that uh, we just want to, we just want to move out of this house like we were living it was the first house we bought it was a small house in a great neighborhood and we thought we just want to get out of this house we want to be in a big house like we always we just wanted to upgrade so we had this idea and just this whim like let's just put that our house on the market and then let's just go look for another house to buy because you know it was about us it wasn't even about Jesus it was just about what we wanted to do to be honest with you so we're like we're just going to get this we're going to upgrade I mean you never really downgrade houses do you unless it's more convenient for you usually it's like upside upgrade. Do you, want a, do you want an extra large? Of course I do. Do you want more fries? Yes. Like it was just, we we're just upsizing. So we thought we're just going to throw up a for sale sign in, in our current house that we're living in. And we're going to go out and we're going to find another house. And once we find the other house, then we're going to, we're going to buy that other house on the contingent contingency that we sell the other one. But you know, oftentimes what I've found in my life is Chad's plan doesn't usually work out the way that Chad wants it to. And many times I should be so thankful that it doesn't work out in the way that Chad wants it to work out because I had went out and I had seen every house that I liked that just appeared to be better than the one that we were living in. It's like everyone had something else to offer. It's like it could be 50 years older. I know, but it's so cute and it's a little cottage home or whatever the case may be. We went into this one house and I don't even know. I mean, I was just crazy, I think. But it was like, I'm looking at this house, and it wasn't even like the house that even compared to the one that we were living in. It was about the same size, but it was in town. And then I go down into the basement, and they had like this old coal furnace. I mean, old. 
Like literally, you would have had to like tear out walls to get this thing out. It looked like an octopus. It was so big around, I couldn't even put my arms all the way around it. It's not something that you would see here in the south, but in the north, it gets cold. I don't know if you knew that or not. So it's like, like this huge furnace thing, and it was down there. It wasn't usable, but they knew that the only way to take it out was like to tear, take a wall out. So it was just like an ornament. It was like the basement. Like you go down there, and it's like, what in the world? I mean, even the, even the plumbing was like that big around going through this. But I looked at anyone else in the right mind would look at that and say, this is a terrible decision. Why in the world would you want to buy this house? But I was like, I kind of like it. I kind of like it a lot. So then we went out and I saw another house, and this house was even bigger, and it was built in 1920. It needed a roof. It was a two-story house, beautiful. Like the inside of it, you go up, there was a steps. It looked like something you'd see in a movie, but it needed a roof, and that roof would cost thousands of dollars because it was the second story, and I wasn't going to get on that joker myself. So I knew that we were in trouble, but I had so convinced myself that I wanted this house. So we put an offer on this house, not just one time, a couple times. And every time they counter, like they, they counter, like, eh, sorry, just not going to do it. We tried to sell our house for nine months. We tried to sell our own house while we were looking around at all these other houses. And yet, every time we tried to sell our house, we didn't even get a little nibble, nothing. Nobody was interested in our house for nine months. It wasn't until we took the house off the market and we realized, Maybe God has something else for us. Maybe it isn't about Chad's plan. Maybe it's about God's plan. After all, we took the house off the market. God led us through this amazing just adventure where then we knew that we were going to be in full-time vocational ministry. And we talked to a realtor. I'm telling you, this is one of the most amazing things that has happened to us. We tried to sell that house for nine months on our own. But yet, then we went to talk to a realtor. We talked to a realtor. They had a, a walkthrough of the realtors on Tuesday, and it was supposed to be on the market on Thursday, and the house sold before it was actually on the market. So in between Tuesday and Thursday, Chad's plan was we're just going to sell this, and we're just going to upsize, and we're going to do whatever for nine months, and God said no. And yet when, then when, when we actually got in line with what God wanted, we got in line with El Yan that he has the right to rule, he has the right to overrule, then automatically, as soon as things went in alignment and God says, nope, I've got this thing for you, you're on a ride, you're going to be in ministry, El Yan is going to make a way, and then he sold that house within two days before it actually went on the market, another realtor bought bought it. That is amazing stuff. This is what happens when you get in alignment with God. And yet, if I'm honest, myself included in the mix, what we tend to do is we try and treat God as if he's a resource and not the source. And we try and treat God as a resource to say, God, if you would just, if you just, I got my plan over here and I got this thing that I want to do, God, if you just resource me, if you just resource this, this little adventure, resource this dream, <clears throat> resource my marriage, resource this house, just give me this car. And yet, instead, what, we're, what we treat God as, when we treat him as a resource, we're not treating him as El El Yon. El El Yon is this. When we say El Yon, it expresses the extreme sovereignty and ultimate superiority of God. That's what El Yon is. When we talk about this name of God, we're saying we're expressing the extreme sovereignty and ultimate superiority of God. 
When we get in alignment of El Elyon, we're not trying to strive and do our own thing. Instead, we're submitting to God and saying, you are El Elyon. You go before me. You're, beho- you're, you're behind me. You're beside me. You're above me. You're beneath me. You're everything to me. I want to get in alignment with El Elyon because I don't want to work against you. Just as, as Paul said, I, I don't want to kick against the goads. I want to get in alignment with what you're doing, God. Because you are El Elyon, you are the most high or most exalted God. You see, when the two words are combined, El, I talked about this last week from El Shaddai, El in, in that language it was God. So now it's saying God most high. What he's saying is when you put these two words together, El Elyon, it's two words. It, it has been translated as the most exalted or the most high God. This would, have been, this would have meant so much in their culture because back in their culture, not that different than ours actually, but in their culture, they saw their, the sun to some people groups, the, the sun was a god or the, the rain was a god or there was a god of fertility. There were so many uh, just, they, they were polytheistic. They believed that there was more than one god. So they had all of these other deities. So when this particular name for God was said, it says, no, this is El El Yon. He is the most exalted, the most high God. He is the God above every other thing that you're saying is God. And all those other gods have small g, but yet the most high God has a what? A big G. He is God. He is the all-sufficient God who is also the creator of heaven and earth. He is the creator and sustainer. The reason why the, the fish team in the water is because of El Elyon. The reason why the mountains were formed is because of El Elyon. The reason why the cute and cuddly animals and the ferocious animals were made, it's because of El Elyon. The reason why the trees sprouted is because of El Elyon. The reason why that the, the, the clouds have been placed above us is because of El Elyon. The reason why Pluto is out there in space, is it, is it, a, is it a planet right now? Like, we go back and forth. Is it a planet? I don't know. Wherever it is, doing whatever it is, and the purpose of, of Pluto is out there is because of what? El El Yon. Like, that's the big idea. Everything exists because God wants it to exist. Everything is part of God's plan and order. Everything that you and I are going through in our lives right now have been orchestrated by God, sifted through the hands of God, and they are for your good. They are. And yet, many of us live with the reality that God is our resource and not the source. You see, we, when, if we would understand that God is the source and not the resource, then we wouldn't, we wouldn't find so much restriction in receiving this next proverb from Proverbs 16.9. It says, we make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. See, when, the reason why we, we bristle back from that or we're like, oh, Oh, I just I just didn't see that coming, God. Many times it's because we've made our plans and yet our plans didn't include God. And yet then we ask God, hey, God, could you clean up my mess? In other words, could you resource my problem? And yet God wants to be the source of your of of his promises and the source of your direction. That's what God is up to. I want this to set heavy in your mind and heart. The will of God will never lead you where the power of God cannot enable you. The will of God will never lead you where the power of God will not enable you. 
So let's walk by faith in his promises. He is El Elyon. And El Elyon will never lead us where he will also not enable us and empower us to be able to get through whatever it is that we get through. Does anyone else in here sometimes find it hard to trust God? Could we have just a moment of honesty? You find it hard. Man, and you didn't, everybody else didn't put your hand up. Man, you guys are great. Hopefully you get something from the sermon today. Um, anyway, so I think if we're honest, we all find it a little hard to trust God. Amen? From time to time. Everybody has that issue from time to time. Let me ask you this question just to, to, to bring some light into the subject. Who in here likes to put together jigsaw puzzles? Anyone? Jigsaw puzzles. There's actually more hands up for that question than the previous one. Seriously. Um, I used to like to make jigsaw puzzles and then the, never mind. Um, some of you got that. That was sad. Anyway, I, I personally am not a big fan of, of jigsaw puzzles just because it requires a massive amount of patience. And when I look at jigsaw puzzles, I see everything. It looks all the same. And some of you are like, because you haven't put, to, put together enough puzzles. Actually, I went online because of this talk. I, see, I want to study deep for you guys. I went in and I was like, well, what are like ways to, to help put a puzzle together? And most people choose puzzles that have like a thousand pieces. So why a thousand? I don't know. But most people do. That's kind of like the statistic. And so there's all sorts of different strategies about putting a puzzle together without, usually what do you do? You find what? Right, you find the outside edges, and there's so many, thank you for that, there's so many other ways other than the outside edges. If you find, like if you look at the box and you look at, it, at an image, and you choose a puzzle that actually has a sharp contrast, then you can actually put the contrasting pieces together and kind of lump them together. See, I'm learning you something today, isn't that awesome? Anyway, uh, and I'm also going to have somebody teach me grammar later. So then I thought, I'm not a puzzle person but, but many of you are puzzle people, puzzle people. I don't even know if that's a thing, but it's a thing for you, and which is awesome. So then I, again, just the depth of my study, I thought, what is like the world's largest jigsaw puzzle ever put together? And it wasn't in America. It was actually in Vietnam, and it was 551,232 pieces, actually, it was put together in like this auditorium thing, and it took like 1,600 students in Vietnam to do it, and a lot of patience. Like, isn't that amazing? Why do I talk about puzzles? I talk about puzzles because when somebody goes to buy a jigsaw puzzle, they get the puzzle, and they usually choose it because of whatever the image is and whatever you're going to do with it afterwards. Sometimes they seal them and put them on the wall or whatever and make it works of art, and that's cool. It's a good idea. And yet, <clears throat> when you look at this this box that the puzzle pieces come in you just you look at it and then you just somehow trust that all of the puzzle pieces in there because if you if you were to get this box and if you thought for a second that two of the pieces weren't there would you buy the box you wouldn't of course because it's incomplete why is it that we trust that a company or a person is going to put together all of the pieces of that puzzle but yet we don't trust L. Yon to put the pieces of the puzzle of our life back together why is it that we can trust them to put all of the pieces of the puzzle inside that box so much so that we'll go out and spend some money to, to buy that jigsaw puzzle, and yet we won't trust the God of the universe to give us direction for our lives, to give us the healing that we need? Why is it that we struggle so much? 
I believe the reason why we struggle is because of this. Because we need to give El Elyon the right to overrule. We need to give El Elyon the right to overrule. We need to give him the right to overrule, even though if we make our, our plans, understanding that the Lord is going to determine our steps. And then in that, we know that God is good and that his plan is good and that his power is available there to get us through every, every circumstance, every issue, every trouble, every quabble, every marital issue, every, every, every prodigal child, every, every time that you're trying to sell a house and you can't sell your house, whatever it is that God would do, that God, you, if you were to give El Elyon the right to overrule, I believe that your life would have so much more peace. And that's what we're going to see today. And we're going to see how this amazing thing happens with Abraham in Genesis 14, 13 through 24. Let me give you a little bit of the backstory first. Abram is 75 years old. Remember how old he was last week? Anybody remember? 99. So now we're going back in time, going back to the future. No, back in time. So now he's 75, going back 24 years that will be talked about last week. And now he's 75 and he and, and Lot, his nephew, had separated. And this was all part of God's plan. They had separated. And Abram had given him the special promise. And this is what it says. He said, lift, this comes from Genesis 13, 14 through 17. It says, lift your eyes from where you are. Look north and south, east and west. All of the land that you see, I will give you and your offspring forever. He says, Lot, you just pick the direction that you want to go in. You just pick it. And you can have it. So at this vantage point, is they would have been looking out between Ai and Bethel. To the north, their eyes would have, would have seen Samaria and Judea. What else is in the area of Judea? What, what city? Jerusalem is in Judea. And to the westward and to the south, they would have been able to see Benjamin and in. Judah, that's where the, the, the tribes would expand to. Eastward, they would have been able to see the, the mountains of Moab with the Jordan River. That's back to Ruth's land that we would find this out later. And near to them would be the, a, a range in the hills over Jericho. So at this point, Abram, looking out with Lot, they would have had just this spectacular view. In nearly every direction. And Abram says, choose one. So he does. And now Lot goes off into this land, but now there's a war that happens. You see this actually just before what we're going to read. There's this, this war that breaks out in between five pagan kings fighting four other kings. This would have been a battle that would have been fit for television. Just... Thousands of soldiers out battling just this amazing orchestrated battle <clears throat> that's happening. And now, unfortunately, the, the four kings, they had seized the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah, which is also the area that Lot lived in. That's the area that Lot chose. And now, because of this, these four kings have taken the land and now they've taken him hostage. They've kidnapped him. So now let's look at verse 13 to see what happened. 
one who had escaped, came and reported this to Abram, the, the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the trees of Mamre, the Amorite, the brother of Eshcol, and Anir, all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. So this is a long way. He's pursued them. Like these 318 trained men are pursuing them. They're going a long way. Now that they've left there, and now they're into Syria. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and other people. After Abram returned from defeating Kodor Laamor and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheveh. This, that is, the king's, the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by El El Yon, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed, blessed be El El Yon, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, El El Yon, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will not accept, uh, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or a thong of your sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with them to Anir, Eshkol, Mamre, let them have their share. Why is it that Abram says, no, I don't want anything from you? Why did he say that? Because he wanted to give all of the props, all of the praise, and all of the respect to El El Yon. And he says, no, I don't want to give you anything to the king of Sodom, he says, I'm not going to give you anything because then you're going to be able to say that you are the reason why I am in the place that I am. But he says, no, it's not because of you. It's because of my God, because of these 318 trained men then going out against legions. The legions. Hundreds, most likely thousands of other warriors. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, who are these 318 trained men that were raised up in Abram's household? I'm thinking, I'm thinking for sure, there were like 317 Green Berets, for sure. And then there was one Navy guy to drive the boat. That's what I was thinking, maybe. I'm not really sure. Like, of course, there was no boat. There's no water. It was all land, right? So they were all trained men. That's all we know. They were trained but they were going against a superior force, at least so they thought. But yet, when you're on the side of El El Yon, you are always at the majority. Amen? You are always on the more powerful side. You are always stronger than any foe, any enemy, any, any past, any brokenness, any obstacle in your way. If you're on the side of El El Yon, you are already standing as the majority. So now, Abram... He's, he gives this report and he sends them on. And now that we know 
how this works out. And now we know that these trained men win because a, that El Oyan is on their side. Did you notice that three times that, it, that El Oyan was mentioned, if we could go into, uh, where's the first one? Let's see it together. In verse 19, it says, Blessed be Abram by, by God most high, El Oyan, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. And then also we see, in verse 22, but Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord. In other words, I am paying honor to El El Yon. But it says in that the God most high creator of heaven and earth. So two of the three times he's connecting El El Yon with the creator of heaven and earth. That the creator and sustainer of everything that is. There's this mystery character also in this passage Melchizedek, in verse 18, he's a mysterious kind of figure. And I'll just kind of draw his name out from verse 18. It says he was the king of Salem. Do you know, any, anyone in here know what another name for the name Salem is? Jerusalem. So when you hear Salem, it's, it's Jerusalem. So he's the king of this area. But also we know from another passage in Psalm 110, verse 4, it says this. In this messianic psalm, it says, The Lord has, has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So we know that Melchizedek was, was a king, the king of Salem, king of Jerusalem, but he was also a priest. There are a couple other references I'm not going to share with you, but we know that this, this person was, was a priest. This is not that uncommon. Many of you are like, well, how can you be both? David was both. So, and now this messianic psalm in Psalm 110 verse 4 is pointing to, by, by saying messianic psalm, who am I also pointing to? Jesus Christ. That Jesus was in the lineage of Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the king of Jerusalem, this priest. And a priest stands between God and men. So, Verse 22 through 24, I'm going to borrow, uh, borrow from this to bring about this idea. The reason why that, that Abram did not want to give any props to the king of Sodom is because El Oyan was the source for Abram's victory. El Oyan alone was Abram's source. You see, whatever you make your source is your God. Whatever you make your source is your God. Whatever it is that you cling to when you get lonely can become your God. Whatever it is that you seek is the highest point in your life to give you direction then becomes your God. Whatever it is that you retreat to when times are difficult can become your God if you're treating those things as the source. But yet God is the source. El Elyon is the source. He is the creator and sustainer of heaven and earth and everything therein. Amen? So whatever you make your source is your God. Where do you go for support, people? Where do you go for comfort? Where do you go for direction? These things have a tendency to compete with God's voice in our life. To compete with El Elyon. So where do you go? 
Where, where's the first thing you go when you go through a hard time? Do you go into the Word to study, to study God's Word, to, to dig into what God says about you? Or do you go to a person? Do you go to a pill? Where do you retreat to? Do you go to the source, that being God? Or do you go to something else and then just ask God to resource you to fix your problems? We're going to get into this in just a moment, but I, I want to tell you this right now. God and Satan are not equals. They're not. Satan was a created angel. This is what it says in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. It says, How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said to your heart, this is where the passage comes in, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Look what Satan is saying. I will do all of these things. I will do all these things. I will make myself like the most high. But you have, but you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. So they're not equals. Satan was a, he was a, he was a fallen angel. He is less than God. This becomes important. That also means that God has the right to overrule. That God is the, is, has the sovereign and supreme authority and power over your life, over my life, over all of creation as He sustains it. He has the right to overrule. If you are in Christ, He has the right to overrule any dream, any whim, any wish, any relationship, any brokenness, any direction that you have sought for yourself, any plan that you've made for yourself. He is El Oyan, and He has the right to overrule because He is the Most High God. I couldn't help but think of some... This got me thinking about the court system. And although I think the court system is good, it's also laughable in some ways. It's laughable because the silliest thing happened in court. And also in the court system, you know, if you're at a lower level of court and you don't like the result, then you can appeal and go to the highest level, right? Until you can eventually get to what's the highest one? You guys are smart. The Supreme Court, right? So I thought that I would look at just some, some court rulings. And I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I spent way too much time looking at these and laughing at these. And I thought, these people, I can't even believe that they would do this. So I want to give you one example. This comes from an uh, Israeli woman. I, I, I've sought the world for you. And this one, if you look at this up, it's called When It Rains, It Pours. And this is what happened. Uh, this, this is what happens when you put all of your trust in a weather prediction. And so this, this Israeli woman sued a radio, a TV station, excuse me, when the weatherman wrongly predicted the weather. Right? Like, who would do that? I don't know. Well, this woman ended up getting caught in the rain, then she caught the flu because of it. She missed a week of work, and she then had to purchase some medication. And she won a court case of $1,000 for it. I don't know why. I don't know how, but she did. Think that's absurd? Not as absurd as this one. Someone sued in a lawsuit 
for a $54 million pair of pants. True story. $54 million. By the way, if you again, I love this stuff. Um, if you were to ever look for what's the most expensive pair of pants that you could buy commercially, you can actually go online today to Neiman Marcus, and it's $10,000, just in case you have some expendable income. And then I would just ask for you to come and talk to me, because I think you could spend your money in better places. But that's up to you, I guess. So this is what happened. This actually happened in Washington, D.C. in 2005. And this... Uh, gentleman by the name of Roy Pearson, he went to this dry cleaner and they lost his pair of pants, lost his pair of pants. And he himself is a lawyer. Uh-huh, that explains the $54 million. He knows how the game works. So he lost his pants. And so he looked at this sign and the sign said, satisfaction guaranteed. So he's like, well, it's going to take a lot to satisfy me, $54 million. Eventually, uh, the court threw that one out, thankfully, and it was done and didn't waste any more taxpayer money. And all God's people said, amen. All right. I tell you all that because we see how the court system has it set up where if you think you were, you were done unjustly, that you can, and, and then if, if something happened, then you can appeal a lot of time. You can go to appeal to go a higher level of court. And what we do is in our, in our minds, I want you to know how this works. Although God is El Oyan and he, has the, the, he is the supreme authority and he has all control, sovereign control over all of creation, I want you to know the law that happens in your mind. You see, the, the lower courts try to rule our minds with defeating thoughts and beliefs. He is the supreme one. He has all authority. He is the most high God, and yet this is how it works within our being. The lower courts of our mind, they try and rule our thoughts with defeating thoughts and beliefs. This is how it works. So although He is El Oyan, we have these competing thoughts trying to defeat us with our, our, our thoughts and our beliefs, trying to get us to believe that He is not El Elyon, that we need to trust Satan, who was just mentioned in Isaiah 14, in, in getting us to, to not believe and trust God that He will deliver on His promises, but that we should follow another path. You with me so far? So what this means to us in real time is the lower courts try to rule our minds with defeating thoughts and beliefs. And this is what it sounds like. This addiction can't be broken. Our marriage is doomed. That dream will never come true. He's not coming back. But El Yon has the right to overrule. He has the right to overrule all of those defeating thoughts and beliefs. So I want to give you a few practical things to, to help us to rally around in this so we can better understand and appreciate and know how to battle in this area. So El Yon has the right to overrule. So I'm going to give you this in, in the time we have left. First thing is we need to learn to stand. We need to learn to stand, standing before God in worship and in awe and in reverence. We need to stand. 
We need to stand like it says in Psalm 66, 1 through 4. Let this word wash over you. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Make His praises glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing the praises of your name, singing the praises of the name El El Yon. So we stand when we praise God and Christian music and worship music is so vital. And we have such a wonderful gift in our culture being able to have this at just at, the, at our fingertips is a wonderful thing because in that it teaches us to stand when we take these wonderful gifts, the Christian songwriters that we sing in church and outside of church, these help us to incorporate God's promises to us, conveying God's love to us and understanding who God is, that He is El Oyan. And when we sing, we also learn to stand. He is also supreme. So we need to learn the supremacy. I'll go back to the scripture that that we read together in Isaiah 14. The supremacy. And maybe what you need to write under this is Satan and God are not equal. Satan and God are not equal. Although the lower courts may say something to the contrary, they are not. Continuing on in Psalm 66, 5 through 7, let this word wash over you. Come and see what God has done, His awesome deeds for mankind. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in Him. He, listen to this, He rules forever by His power. His eyes watch the nations. Let not the rebellious rise up against Him. There is no foe who can stand toe-to-toe with El El Yon. None. The next thing I want us to look at is building upon this, the standing, the supremacy, that, that God is supreme. El Yon is supreme. Now let's look at strength. This is what the Word says in 1 John 4, 4. It says, you, dear children, are from God. This is children meaning children of God. I love how when somebody is inside the community of faith that that we're referred to as children of God, meaning that we are all part of family. I'm also so thankful that the psalmist wrote that God sets the lonely in families. There's so much richness to this. And knowing that that we have sonship and, and daughtership to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And with that, we have some strength. This is what it says. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one. Does anybody know how to finish it? Who is in the world. That he who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I want to talk to you about a couple more, but another one is sovereignty. And I don't want to give you a scripture for this. I want to Talk about something that, that I saw with my own eyes. And, and I want to share with you this picture. And this picture was a friend of mine. His name is Doug Turner. And I don't know if you can see it from the back, but, but there's so much in this, in this picture. In the later stages of his life, he was, 
He, he earlier in his life was healthy. He was, he was a big man, a big, strong man, avid hunter. He was an executive for a, a, for a whole hospital, not just a hospital, but a, a whole, uh, like a, a medical company. Just an incredible man of God. I got to know he and his family really well, and I was actually there in the moments that he took his last breath, which was in a hospital. It wasn't in this chair, but he spent all the last days eating, sleeping, everything in this chair. You don't see it in the picture, but, but to his right, to your left, out of, the, out of the frame was the phone. And in his last moments uh, in this chair and in his last days, he made it his, his goal to randomly call pastors just to encourage them. People he didn't even know. So he would literally he'd go through the phone book and he'd be like, oh, going through this one. Can I talk to the pastor? Hey, you don't know me. But I want you to, and he would just encourage them. He was such an encourager in his last days. But the book he has in his hand, it's, I find it comical when I, I saw this picture. And this, he, he passed away 10 years ago this past week. But this book says, always looking up. And it's literally a book he was reading and drinking his Mountain Dew. And he, he trusted in God's sovereign plan. And even in his last days, and, and he, his body would, would just waste away to being so much less than even what you see in this picture. Where everything he ate, his, his body rejected. So he couldn't eat, and he couldn't drink, and he couldn't move. And, and his body just literally faded away into nothingness. And, but yet spiritually, he trusted in God's sovereign plan. He trusted in God's sovereign plan the whole time. He, he, he knew what was happening. The doctors couldn't figure out what was going on. They never did. And he went through testing after testing after testing, seeing some of the best doctors in the country. No one could give an explanation. But I'll tell you, one of the sweetest times that I've had in my almost 45 years of life here on earth was sitting by his bedside in his last moments when we're singing hymns over his bedside. Rejoicing, singing praises to El El Yon. He learned the value and he showed the value to his wife and to his kids and to everyone else who was there. Trusting in God's sovereign plan and that God's plan was good even though maybe we don't understand it. And another thing he got remarkably well was surrender. He didn't fight God. He surrendered to God's plan. He surrendered to what it, he surrendered to El Yon, knowing that that wasn't the, the plan for his life, but the Lord had directed his steps, and then the, the Lord directed him into that chair. We need to be people like my buddy Doug. We need to be people who make a difference in other people's lives. When we trust El Yon, and we don't get angry with God, but we trust God and we take God at His word. Trusting Him and knowing that the will of God will never take us where the power of God cannot enable us. That, that, that the will of God will never lead us where the power of God cannot enable us. And it brought to mind this last scripture I want to share. And this comes from Jesus in what's known as the model prayer. 
And this, this is really the culmination of my talk. Maybe you're, you're trying to find out, I don't know if my life is in alignment with El Elyon, or maybe, maybe your life is not in alignment with God and El Elyon, and you, you, you've been treating God as a resource and not the source. So I want to share this passage of Scripture right from the words of Jesus from Matthew 6, 9, and 10. And it says this, and Jesus' model prayer, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. What's the next line? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we do that, we're saying, God, you have the right to rule my life. You are the source of everything. You are the creator and sustainer of everything. You know my future. You know my past. You know what's going on beside me. You know what's going on above me. You know what's going on beneath me. God, you know everything about me. After all, this is what you said, or what, what God said, even of Jesus in Matthew 28, 18. It says that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. Jesus Christ is El El Yon. Jesus is El El Yon. As the band comes forward, I want to ask you this question. What have you been trusting in? Have you been simply trusting in, in your own works, in your own way, in your own intellect? Your own way of living, your own future, your own plans? Maybe trusting in your portfolio, financially speaking, like, well, I've got this money here, and this is my nest egg, and this is what's going to get me through life. Saving's not a bad thing, but trusting in wealth is. Is that where you are? church, or or could you honestly stand as we sing this next song and say, no, 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 no. I believe that I trust in El Elyon, not perfectly, but increasingly. Would you stand with me? I don't know where this lands with you this morning, but maybe what we need to do right now before we sing is maybe we just need to all bow our heads and just have a time of just silence and just processing where you are. Are you even in Christ? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as as being your Lord and being the Savior? Have you recognized before Him that, that you're a sinner? God, reveal to all of us right now in this moment what it is that we need. God, encourage us if we need to be encouraged. Scold us if we need to be scolded. Lead us to repentance if we need to repent. But Father, please, lead us all to victory in your name. God, we trust in your word. We trust that you are El Yon. God, maybe for the person who's come in here, And they know that they're a Christian and yet they've been living their life like I did years ago and they've been just living their life in such a way to where they were just treating you as a resource. And God, maybe in this moment, the greatest grace that could be brought upon them is the reality that they've been doing that. That they would repent and they would say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Maybe for the person who has been clinging to a person 
or a bottle or a substance for the sense of peace and hope. And God, maybe they, 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 in this moment, they need to take the first step and acknowledge it. Maybe they need to acknowledge it in their seats. Maybe they need to acknowledge it here at the front of the stage. I don't know what it is, God. But I pray that even as we sing this song, if you're leading people to make a decision to follow you, if you're leading people to drawing them to repentance, that you would do so. If you're leading them just to encourage them, God, I pray that your spirit would be vibrant and work in us today. Amen. Amen.